If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 191 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on the sixth day of August, the first 2023 August episode in the year 2023 of Yapping Yankees. What a day it is, my friends. I have a lot going on today. If you listened to last week, you would know what's going on. First off, I hope you are all doing well out there who are listening, and I thank you for listening as always. But I am currently actually in a bit of a rush, and you know why if you listened to last week's episode. If you did listen to last week's episode, you would know that tonight I am boarding a flight. To re- Tonight I'm boarding a flight. I really accidentally rhyme a lot on this show. All right, Mike, stop being stupid. Tonight, I'm getting onto a flight to make my 11th, yes, 11th return to Italy. I'm going back to Italy today, and we're not going to be settled in into the town that my grandfather grew up in down south until, like, late tomorrow. So I have a lot of traveling ahead of me, especially because we have a long layover between our connecting flight and the flight getting us to Italy. We're taking a shuttle down to the southern part of Italy, so it'd be a shorter drive, obviously, and the layover there is very long. It's like six or seven hours. I don't know what I'm going to do in the airport for six or seven hours in Milan, but anyway, I am leaving in just a few hours to go to the airport, so I have got to almost, I don't want to use this word when it comes to, to my content, but I have to kind of rush today because I do have a trip to get ready for. I'm already all packed and everything, but we have to go to the airport shortly, so... I'm sort of in a rush today, got a big day ahead of me, doing this show, I really didn't want to miss a week because I am going to be doing a week next week, I'm doing a Yapping Yankees episode, and you know that I gave you the schedule last week, I'm doing an episode next week in Italy, so it'll be my second Italy episode after the first one I did two years ago in 2021, so that'll be really exciting to do another international Yapping Yankees episode from overseas, but... Today is sort of a rush. I'm not doing a social media segment because of it. I'm just trying to make the show shorter. So I'm going to try my best not to BS too much today like I usually do every single freaking week. So I'm just trying to get an episode out today because I cannot wait to be back in Italy. I just can't wait. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for that. (laughs) Oh my goodness. I just can't wait to go back. I can't wait to see my friends, my family, the whole deal. So I'm really looking forward to it. So today is just like a really hectic day. Can't really make sense of it. Going to be a lot of wild stuff. And while we're talking about stuff you can't make sense out of, anybody want to try to make sense out of this last week of Yankees baseball and just Yankees in general? Because I've been having a tough time really making sense of it from a rational standpoint, from a fan standpoint. I, I don't really understand it. This past week... A lot of crazy crap happened. First off, the deadline passed, and we spoke all about that last week and how the Yankees were running out of options and all the moves that were happening with the Yankees staying idle. I mean, even the rest of the things. Scherzer went to Texas. Verlander went back to Houston. So after just facing the Yankees at Yankee Stadium as a Met, 
and all the success that Verlander's had against the Yankees, of course, he got to return a week or two later with the Astros to face them again at Yankee Stadium. Uh, DeYoung went to the Blue Jays. Rich Hill and G-Man Choi went to San Diego. Brad Hand went to the Braves. Tommy Pham went to the Diamondbacks. Jack Flaherty to Baltimore. Marlins got Josh Bell. <laughs> and the Yankees, with all the problems they have, oh, well, you know, they struck gold. They got a reliever named uh, Keenan Middleton, or Keenan Middleton, from the White Sox a mid at best reliever average at best and also a reliever Spencer Howard from Texas who sports a 720 career ERA <laughs> uh, you can't make it up and you're hearing from rival executives other general managers around baseball saying that Cashman was difficult to deal with is that a surprise to absolutely anybody out there? Difficult to deal with. Cashman and the Yankees were originally saying, obviously, that they were going to address the outfield, or they were looking to at least address the outfield, get relief pitching, or even possibly a catcher, especially in light of Trevino being out for the rest of the year, obviously. And what do they end up doing? Well, they sign an average, at best, barely average reliever, and a horrible reliever. <laughs> Of all the problems on this team in the first place, when you really think about it, and upon thinking about it, I should probably be careful with the use of those two words, those two words being first place, considering that's the polar opposite and a complete foreign concept for the 2023 New York Yankees, as is even a playoff spot for weeks now. But anyway, story for another show. Of all the problems on this team, when you look at the different aspects, starting pitching, offense, bullpen, even defense. The bullpen, although it had its struggles a few weeks ago, for sure, it's been better again of late, thankfully. Every aspect of every team, even the best of teams, goes through their rough bouts. It's a long season, it happens, we know this. But they've been back on it. In general, though, on the whole, Yankee bullpen still being amongst the best or even the best in the entire sport, it's basically the least by far of any other aspect of the team as far as the biggest problems on the team. It's the least. Doesn't need really many improvements at all, especially with Jonathan Loizaga right around the corner, possibly even as soon as tomorrow. So another re-addition to an already solid bullpen. And just like for the last year plus with this team, they still don't address any true areas of need. Like, I, I don't know, anywhere in the offense? <laughs> anywhere? Outfielder? Left fielder in particular? I mean, you can't even find a way to dump off expiring contracts? Anything? I was even talking about him last week, for instance, and there's quite a bit I still like about the guy, obviously, even though his offense is admittedly vanished for the most part for weeks now. It really just hasn't been there for the most part. But, And I'm a big fan of his. I've, I've been a defender of his. But objectively, even I am willing to acknowledge that I would have totally understood if they ultimately traded Bader. I would have understood. Between objectively how much he is hurt, his bat has disappeared for a while, for the better part of the last few weeks, his contract is going to be done after this season, expiring deal, 
I mean, do you plan on re-signing these expiring deals? Because then I guess, I, I guess it would make sense, but is it really worth the risk of doing that? Even as someone who likes Bader, you're going to re-sign him with all the risk that comes with it, injury and otherwise? So if you're not doing that, then it really makes no sense that you're not able to at least dump off expiring deals for maybe some prospects. I, others also. Like IKF, he's on his one-year deal, so that's expiring as well. And I have been more than vocal about that too. I don't want to be a hypocrite. And I still stand by it. I think IKF has been absolutely terrific as a utility guy. I think he's finally found his role. I'm not disputing that. I've been more than open about it. But when it comes to doing just something, anything of significance for a team that clearly desperately needs any and all help it could get, especially offensively. Nothing? Because if you don't bring them back, what if we just lose them this winter anyway? You lose them for nothing then. Nothing. And in that case, you can't get any prospects. You don't do anything to even address the future, if nothing else. Prospects. Draft. The Rule 5 guys, all of it, nothing addressed. Nothing. You didn't give anything of potential significance away to anybody to get anything of return, whether they be ready now or for the future. They did nothing. Which is the definition of complete irresponsibility as a baseball organization. And for what? Why did you do nothing? A lot of reports saying, oh, it's because... You know, Cashman's Cashman, or because I even heard some reports saying Cashman was willing to sell a little bit, but Hal didn't want him to. And we have done our fair share of complaining about both of those guys, especially Brian Cashman. But I am holding just about everybody responsible for this because it is absolutely incomprehensible to me how you could actually be past the deadline and having not done anything anything to improve the team at least immediately or in the future at all and why because you think this team this team is winning a world series <laughs> that's a good one give me an entire break the playoffs aren't even a certainty think this team is going anywhere There's still three and a half games out of the third wild card on August 6th. And quite frankly, they're very lucky certain teams have done quite a bit of losing lately because it could be even worse than that. Yeah, there's a lot of gameplay left for just three and a half games. I acknowledge that. But with this team, nothing's a guarantee. You cannot pretend like anything's a guarantee at all. And I did go on record saying that now that Judge is back, I do think it's a possibility now much more than before without him that the team could make the playoffs. But I did still acknowledge what happens after that. You really think this team is going to go all the way? I give you all the credit in the world, and I don't shame you if you do think that. But I, with respect, I think you are completely lying to yourself. And I think your bias is kicking in a little too much. If I end up being wrong and this team ends up winning, then then chastise me for the rest of time. I don't care. I'll be glad to be wrong. But really, you did nothing and you're just willing to stick with this same old crap like you have for so long if you're the Yankees now, multiple years of the same old crap, because you think this team's actually going to go anywhere? Are you actually kidding? Can you acknowledge reality for it even a second? 
I, I mean, there were reports flying all over the place. Reports of some of the organization wanting to sell, some other factions of the organization wanting to stand their ground. What is the mindset? What is the vision? Where is the sense? I'll tell you, there's none of any of it, and there hasn't been for some time. This is crap we've been over more times than I even care to count or think about, because it makes me nauseous when I do. I've been saying for nearly two years now, some others for far longer, what will truly, somehow, redeem this dumpster fire. Get rid of Brian Cashman. And if you have been listening to Yankee Stadium the last few days, the fans have also made that more than clear with the fire Brian Cashman chance because everyone, I think it's safe to say, has finally had enough. Get new voices in the front office, including the ones around Brian Cashman. It's done. It's played out. Not one person, not one, is for it anymore. I have really done my research. I've looked hard all throughout social media. I've asked countless people in real life, on the internet, on social media, anywhere. I have not spoken to one person, even prior Brian Cashman supporters, who was willing to put up with this crap anymore. Not one. I, did you see his body language? In the press conference before the game, after the deadline was over? Right before the game, in the pregame? Typical arrogance and shrugging of the shoulders as if absolutely nothing is wrong in Yankee land. Nothing. It's always that mindset, and it's really, really irritating for those of us who put our blood, sweat, and tears of passion into this team those of us who really care and just want a World Series championship, it really is aggravating to watch. It really just reminds you constantly upon seeing it that Brian Cashman doesn't care about you. Brian Cashman doesn't care about me. Brian Cashman doesn't care about any Yankee fan. He doesn't. And neither does Hal, especially if that report about him not wanting to do what's best for the team, at least for the future, as far as selling for potential prospects, is true. They just don't care. Either of them. If there is any poor soul out there left advocating for this dope, wake up for your own sake, not even mine, yours. Join us in stating what is now and has been for some time the obvious this regime is cooked. I've been saying it for an absolute eternity at this point. New philosophies that start at the top, which again is why, yet again, hiring another hitting coach, as I said originally when Sean Casey was hired, fixes nothing ultimately. As much as I like the new mix of mindset in there and the motivation in there, what really has changed more often than not with this offense since he came on board? You're still seeing most of the time exactly what they were doing before. And I said, even though I like the addition of him, it's not going to majorly change anything ultimately. And what has played out so far, the offense still most of the time pulling their usual crap. 
And even when they do win, most of the time, it's just them just doing enough to get it done because the pitching performed their asses off. You want to know why? Because it starts at the top with Cashman and the boneheads he is surrounded by. New philosophies, new vision, new mindset, new approach. People with both real-time feels for the game and respect for the numbers at the same time. You need a balance. I'm not advocating totally for either side. Because you need someone with a feel for the game in the moment, and you also need to abide by the numbers because that's also responsible as well. Baseball has always been about the numbers. Even if in the technological age, it seems like it's massively favoring that, and it might be, but you still do need them. And also people who know how to both tell the truth so people's intelligence isn't blatantly insulted and gaslit, but also know how to not go overboard where things get out of control and you throw anybody under the bus. A balance. No more denial of clear reality like this organization seems to get off on doing on a regular basis. And the one question I just constantly seem to be asking myself when it comes to the Yankees is when is enough enough? When When will it be enough so that anyone will resurrect what once was a great, proud, and honorable franchise? What is it going to take? What is it going to take? I mean, do you even see the players at times, especially in the vast majority of the games where they're completely flat and lifeless? Do you see even them? Guys, we've spoken about in recent years how the players look defeated amidst difficult stretches and they look like they're just about ready to throw in the towel and call it quits but none of those times none I really mean this none of those prior times compared to how they look now in times of difficulty there's legit no spirit no fight no heart whatsoever especially if you're talking about the vast majority of this last week again other than these last two games against the Astros, which I did enjoy because any win against the Astros is well appreciated and very much enjoyed despite the state of the team. But especially before these two games, yet again this past week, another week of examples of just all of that nothing. No fight, no spirit, no heart. For months it's been going on. For the vast majority of the last couple of months. And there's never a sign of it ending. Even if they do have one or two days where the offense blows up, it happens every now and again. It has to happen. It's a long season. It has to happen eventually. But there's just not a sign of it ending otherwise. It just goes right back to what it is, and you're just like, is this team ever going to win another game again? (laughs) Like, I mean, we are a week into August, guys. August! The early excuses are done with. You can't use it anymore. I mean, I'm pretty sure the other day they even had Carlos Rodon saying the boonism, I call them, or a lot of people call them, saying it's right in front of us after Tuesday's loss to the Rays. The programming even infiltrates the newer guys. <laughs> oh my God, it even gets to the newer guys. Rodon just came back from injury and he's already saying it's right in front of us. Oh God. <laughs> Ah, good lord. So if the fiasco of the deadline, Brian Cashman and the Yankees at large just completely spitting in the faces of every single fan wasn't enough for you, well then how about we go to another scenario here. Anthony Rizzo. How about the thing with him, huh? So we've got multiple things, which is why 
I titled the episode the way I did. You know, just make sense of it. Make it make sense the day that I have. You know, I'm talking to you right now. I'm in a rush and I'm going to be boarding a flight to Italy in just a few hours. Make it make sense, the whole deadline situation and how the organization continues to just run itself into the ground in every possible way. And now this one, make it make sense, the whole Anthony Rizzo situation. So Anthony Rizzo's on the injured list now, and I won't repeat this on Yankees News in just a bit because we're talking about it now. He's on the injured list with what was described at first as a quote-unquote likely concussion that can be traced back to his, uh, get ready for this, ready? Were we not referencing this literally every single time that we were talking about the baffling struggles of Anthony Rizzo for more than two months now? Tracing back to his collision with Fernando Tatis Jr. back in May, which is the very time that Anthony Rizzo started to look like he was just about ready to retire. (laughs) That's how bad it got. Literally, statistically, amongst or the single worst hitter in Major League Baseball right now. After he started the near first two months, looking like he was having a career year in his early to mid-30s, which is highly unusual to begin with. Everybody was thrilled. I was amped about it. Who wasn't in Yankee in the Yankee community? Absolutely nobody wasn't. Everyone was beyond hype about it. Making everybody feel good about bringing him back as well. And then, after that, of course, after the collision with Tatis Jr., I'm going to make a comparison for you based on what someone on Twitter tweeted out. And I always give credit to these people whenever they tweet out their statistics that I use on the show. If I don't come up with them on my own, I always give them credit. So Addison at Yankee World with World without the O, W-R-L-D. Want to give them a proper shout out for saying this because we obviously all knew that Anthony Rizzo has been impossible to watch. An absolute chore to watch since that collision with Fernando Tatis Jr. back in May. Been impossible to watch since then. It's not until you hear these statistics, though, that you realize just how insufferable it has been and really painful it's been for those of us who like Rizzo. I love Rizzo. I have loved him since years ago when he started to become the star of the Cubs. I always thought he was one of the better first basemen in all of baseball. I always loved him. Loved him when he came here. I still love the guy. It was just very frustrating to watch him play baseball these last couple of months and very baffling. And you got to call out horrible gameplay when you see it. You have to. It's, it's part of being a fan. It's part of being a respectable content creator when talking about said team. It's just a part of the game. But listen to this. This is when you really realize how awful... It really was. Take Joey Gallo. His worst 50-game span as a Yankee. And you take Anthony Rizzo's last 50 games as a Yankee, which has been his worst stretch, as we've established, not only of his time on the Yankees, but in his career. So I was right about that weeks ago when I said, there's got to be the worst Anthony Rizzo's literally ever been. I've never seen anything like it. And it really seems like that was true. Listen to this. 50 games as a Yankee for Joey Gallo, his worst stretch. His slash line was 160, so 160 batting average, 272 on base, 273 slugging, which adds up to a 545 OPS. And additionally, only hit five home runs 
in that span with a 62 WRC plus. An average WRC plus is 100. So that is horrible. Now, listen to this. Anthony Rizzo's last 50 games. A 188 batting average, which is better than Gallo's 160. A 278 on base which is slightly better, .006 better than Gallo, so just about the same, and a .242 slugging, which is worse than Gallo by about .030 points, 31. And a .520 OPS, which is worse than Gallo. One home run in that time compared to Gallo's five, and a .49 WRC plus compared to Gallo's 62. And he also had a worse F war. So in many respects, and we remember, and I reference Joey Gallo, in my opinion, in my 16 years watching, as the worst Yankee hitter I have ever seen. I've been on record saying that many times. I'm not questioning about what he's done since he left the Yankees and was with Minnesota, or when he was with Texas beforehand, or even when he was with the Dodgers for a brief time between the Yankees and Minnesota. Not questioning any of that. I said, as a Yankee, he was the worst Yankee hitter I have ever seen. To think that Rizzo is just about the same, or in a few respects, offensively, worse than Joey Gallo's worst 50-game stretch is incomprehensible. But there are the numbers right there. In a lot of respects... Rizzo was even worse than Gallo at his worst in a 50-game stretch, which is about a third, give or take, of an entire season's worth of a sample size. Try to let that sink in for one second. So all of us, even if we didn't know for sure because we're not within the Yankee organization, obviously, maybe some of us are, I'm not, so I don't pretend to be, but we all referenced the Fernando Tatis Jr. collision for a long time. We didn't necessarily know, at least maybe some did. I thought that maybe something could still be wrong, but you also had the Yankees going on television and Rizzo himself also going on television in every possible pre- and post-game throughout this horrible struggle saying, oh yeah, he's 100% healthy, he's totally fine. Totally cool. Now, (laughs) they say a likely concussion... That can be traced back to that collision all these months later. That happened in mid to late May, guys. We are in the first week of August. So, the first thing that came across everybody's mind was, you mean to tell us that Anthony Rizzo has been playing with a foggy head, per se, for months, and they kept playing him? When this first came out, this looked just about as bad as anything could possibly ever look for this medical staff, which has already been under scrutiny, and rightfully so, for a lot of years for the Yankees. So it looked really bad at first. And then they took the television and said, and Rizzo even said himself, nobody missed anything. I just started to feel some things a little while ago, like towards the beginning of the week. All right, so here's the thing. Here's my perspective still, even if it's just a matter of the last few days. If it was like Sunday or the very beginning of last week that he says he started to go to the Yankees and say, I'm, my head's feeling foggy, I'm, I'm not really there. He even said throughout these last few months he just didn't feel like himself. He was missing pitches that he had no idea how or why he even missed, never missed before. And we've all said that, swinging at things he would never swing at. He did not look like Anthony Rizzo for months. We've all said that, and that's why we were all as baffled as we kept on saying we were. 
I mean, I thought something could be wrong with him because we were all just saying, I even said it. Same thing with DJ. We were saying it for both of them. That something had to be wrong somewhere. Even if it was completely unrelated to the Tatis collision, something had to be wrong. Because you can't just from one day to the next, it's not possible. From one day to the next, go from being one of the more respected players on and off the field in all of baseball, one of the most respected at your position and your craft, to the very next day being one of the worst in the sport? That just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. And that's why some people were speculating with DJ when he was going through the same crap that something was probably still wrong with his toe or something else popped up and he's just not healthy. Whatever the reason may be. Because that's just highly unusual. Yeah, they're on the later end of their career, but usually the natural aging decline happens a a bit more gradually. Like, it doesn't happen from one day to the next. But yeah, I, I guess everybody missed it. Apparently they do the kind of concussion testing after it first happens that's not really that good. I don't know why it would be that good or why you'd even do it if you already know it's not the best. I mean, you're the Yankees. You should have access to the finest of medical care and research and resources out there. I would think. I would hope. So the thing just stinks to high heaven pretty much. Rizzo's saying nobody missed it, but even so, if you're the Yankees and it was the beginning of the week and he was saying, guys, my head's not feeling right, you know, I haven't been feeling right for some time now, or even if he's just saying now, I'm starting to feel a little bit foggy, not feeling right, they still played him for a few days. They only just put him on the IL a a couple days ago. So this team, the New York Yankees, who pride themselves on rotating days off were not even needed. Load management and all that horse crap they get off on spewing to the public. Giving guys days off when absolutely not necessary and just rotating and, and being extra careful. You mean to tell me that this same team who does that puts a guy out on the field for at least a couple more games after being told that their head doesn't feel right? After knowing what happened with him months ago? I mean, people even drew this comparison and they're not wrong. Did they not learn from a guy who was constantly concussed in the presence of Clint Frazier, perhaps? Anybody remember that whole thing? They really didn't learn anything? You're sending this guy out there, not even giving him a couple days off here and there, maybe uh, maybe one day occasionally, but you're just sending him out there to fail pretty much when he's looking as bad as he has ever looked in his entire life and didn't think to look more in-depth or maybe give him some time off, or give him maybe a phantom IL stint, figure something out, just give him a week, week and a half off. Have Jake Bowers or DJ LeMahieu platoon there, and and just for the time being, I don't know. It's just ridiculous how this could have gone on for months, and we see what became of Anthony Rizzo. And then now this is revealed, and he's put on the IL, and his head isn't right, and and there's really no timetable, because the concussion things, anything with the head is tricky to begin with. It's just an unbelievable situation. It really, really is. I don't know what the hell could have been missed. I, I, I don't understand it. I don't understand any of it. I mean, they said he went through all the Major League Baseball testing right after the Tatis collision and he was okay. I mean, it looked really ugly in, in live time as we know. 
he like stumbled and then fell to one knee and stayed there for some time before getting up and then leaving the game and and then of late he started to complain about being yeah this was the word like I said before foggy so I I don't know the whole situation just seems awfully suspect to me I, it's just really it's wild. I mean, yeah, maybe they could have missed it, but you really at least it didn't occur to you. I mean, we were all saying just give Rizzo some time off. Do something to try to get him right, anything, because it's just baffling and it's hard to watch. They didn't even think to do anything as far as like maybe moving him down in the lineup, something. If you're going to keep playing, if you're so insistent that he's healthy and there's nothing wrong with him and you want to keep putting him out there and getting him his reps, fine, do something. Put him down in the lineup, something, anything. They just wouldn't do it. They were being completely stagnant and stubborn like they always are. This is why the Yankees are just so infuriating, man. They're so insistent on sticking to their damn process. Even if it's completely obvious to everyone else with a pulse that it doesn't work. They're an irritating team to root for these last few years. I'm never going to abandon them or jump ship. I never could possibly. I'd rather throw myself off a roof before doing that. But my God, are they irritating. See, Rizzo's on the injured list now. We don't know how long it's going to be for. Obviously, we hope it's as fast a recovery as possible because a healthy Rizzo and a Rizzo that's with it is not only just an important lefty in the lineup, which the Yankees also woefully lack in for years now, in a stadium that's built for lefties. But it's also Anthony Rizzo. <laughs> the great hitter that he is, the great glove he has, the presence that he gives in the clubhouse. You want him back, you want him healthy, you want him efficient. So obviously, despite the weirdness of this entire situation... I just hope he comes back soon, he comes back healthy, and he gets it right, because anything with the head is nothing to play with. Nothing at all. Oh my goodness, so it's just a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff this past week. So the whole Rizzo situation, we were all saying something might be wrong. We didn't know for sure, obviously. Even if we were really insistent on it, obviously we didn't have any definitive confirmation, because unless you're within the Yankees organization, you're not going to have any. Just an ugly situation and another really bad look with the Yankees medical staff, honestly. That everything like this could be missed. And that they continue to send... It seemed like he started to complain about this way earlier in the week and he still played at the start of the week. So you're still sending him out there? Really weird. And with an organization that prides themselves on giving completely unnecessary days off and rotating and load management and all this stupid crap, it's really... It's really mind-boggling to me. Really hypocritical, if you will. I don't know. It's just really weird. Really odd behavior. Also, the people out there who continue to blame Fernando Tatis Jr. Guys, the guy was just trying to get back into the base. It's not his fault. <laughs> I said it even right when the play happened. You can go back and listen to the episode when that happened. It wasn't his fault. He was just trying to get back into the base. It was unfortunate that Anthony Rizzo's head just happened to be right by his leg, and it got bashed into Kingdom Come, and his head got turned around. It happens. It's a freak accident. So, all you could hope for is that Anthony Rizzo gets back as soon as possible. And this is figured out. So, yeah, this past week was just absolute mayhem. So, make that make sense. Make the whole deadline crap make sense. Make my current day make sense. It's just a lot of crap. The deadline thing just has me nuts. It just still has me nuts. Even though it's days past, 
Because even other guys that they were looking at, you know, other names being thrown around. Randall Gritchuk. I'm not going nuts about the fact that the Yankees didn't get him, especially because of the course field effect. You have to factor that in, like I said last week. But also, guys like Heimer Candelario, Lane Thomas, so many other names out there the Yankees could have gotten. And they just didn't. They just didn't. Candelario went to the Cubs. Randall Gritchuk went to the Angels. Just a few more moves amongst all the others that I mentioned before already at the start of the show. Just so much happened. And then... <sighs> make This makes sense too. Another thing. How about the Domingo Herman situation? So just a bunch of things. That's why this episode is titled the way it is again. So much, so much happened. Herman, at the start of the week for his start against the Rays, he was scratched in the final hour before the game started. Johnny Brito was recalled. Ron Marinaccio was optioned, thankfully. I've only been saying to do that for weeks now because the guy has just decided in 2023 is not going to throw strikes. And when he does, they're most of the time going to get drilled over the fence. So finally optioned. I think that's for the better of him and for the Yankees all around. So it's a weird situation with Herman. They were saying that he was having armpit discomfort. So he didn't start the game. Brito, who was recalled, started the game instead. And then, in like the fourth inning or so, you saw Herman warming up in the bullpen. You're like, what, what the hell's going on? I mean, I didn't know. You didn't know. No one knew. What the hell's going on? Even Michael Kane, whoever it was with him on commentary that night, it was either Jeff Nelson, someone else, I don't remember. They were just like, what? What could this possibly mean? First thought that popped into my mind, and then I saw also popped into the minds of many others on Twitter when I checked, is that maybe since it was heading up to the deadline, because I believe it was on Monday, yeah, uh, they were saying maybe they had a trade prepared, and Herman might have been involved, and it might have fallen through, so they were like, oh, get out there. All right, you're still a Yankee, so get out there. Really weird stuff. Really weird. So... If not for that, everybody was completely baffled. Like, why is he coming into the fifth thing? And he ended up pitching the rest of the game. And he did a nice job. But, like, what what, what the hell? <laughs> like, when have you ever seen that before? So, after that whole thing, and, and they came up with the whole thing, like, oh, I saw the doctor, and then they were saying, oh, you're good to go. And it was a whole thing that Boone explained. Like, he was apparently saying, like, the day prior that his pain was at a 10, like he was in a lot of pain, and the next day was better, and he was going to doctors, and they were wondering if he could still go out there, and they decided last minute that he shouldn't, so Brito pitched, and then they ended up bringing him in later on because he was good to go. It was a really, really crazy fiasco that Boone explained. Didn't really make much sense, but regardless, really weird situation. Then Wednesday comes around. Wednesday. <laughs> and it comes out that Domingo Herman had agreed to voluntarily submit to inpatient treatment for alcohol abuse. So now you're saying, I mean, along with the fact that you hope he just gets the help that he needs because alcohol addiction is a horrible thing. Like, oh, could that have been what happened? Like, especially if it was earlier in the week, like, that could have been it. So that situation started to make a bit more sense now. And it just... It got uglier and uglier the more time that passed the reports on this. I mean, at first it was just he's voluntarily submitted and good on him for doing that, you know, for acknowledging that he needs help because you do it voluntarily, that's a good sign. You know, you're acknowledging 
you gotta you gotta do something. That's all we knew at first, just volunteering to go into inpatient treatment for the alcohol abuse, alcohol addiction. And then it came out that he was being placed on the restricted list during his time away from the team, not a surprise. But then Andy Martino released a report the following day on Thursday about the situation saying that on Tuesday evening, which was after the whole Monday thing, on Tuesday evening, Herman grew belligerent and this is a quote, grew belligerent while in the clubhouse at Yankee Stadium, though there was no word at the time of an altercation with a teammate or other individuals. Witnesses determined that Herman was under the influence of alcohol and did not appear in control of his emotions. Several Yankees, including general manager Brian Cashman, manager Aaron Boone, and ace Garrett Cole, appeared visibly shaken when asked about Herman on Wednesday. So there you go. That is not a good sign for things that happened. And then further reports came out after that, that he was belligerent in the clubhouse, even flipped a couch, he was yelling. They put him in a sauna to sweat out the alcohol, which didn't really make much sense to me because if you're having to sweat out the alcohol, I'm pretty sure alcohol doesn't come out too much through sweat in the first place, but you'd also be dehydrating him by making him sweat when... When you have alcohol in you, you could use water. You can afford to be hydrated and have food so that it gets absorbed and passes through the body easier. And I just didn't really think the sauna made much sense, that suggestion. As someone who's had to care for a lot of his friends who drank way too much, as someone who does not drink, I'm not a drinker, I'm not a smoker, never touched any of that crap, I'm not into it, it has no appeal to me. But I've had to care for a lot of people. You typically make sure they're on a fuller stomach, they drink water, they're hydrated. So it's really weird that you'd have him sweat it out, which is really a weird method to begin with, but would also, in a way, dehydrate him. It's just a really weird thing, method, I don't, really odd when I heard that. But they did that to cool him off, or heat him up, I guess, his sauna, and just sweat out the alcohol. And then after that, that's apparently when he voluntarily went to inpatient care. So, listen, Herman has had... A lot of stuff happened between the domestic abuse thing and now alcohol abuse leading to an apparent eruption in the Yankee clubhouse and now voluntarily submitting, which I give him credit for, for inpatient care for alcohol abuse. I just hope he gets the help he needs, man. Herman just, I don't know, just he, a lot happens with him. A lot happens. He just doesn't seem to really have it together for a lot of the time that he's been here. The off-field things are are heavy stuff. It's really heavy stuff, disturbing at times, and it's, I don't know. If that stuff really did happen with the yelling and the flipping of a couch and and the complete lack of control over his emotions, and it makes sense as to why some people would be a bit shaken and a bit hesitant to talk about him the following day. So you had that whole thing on Monday, and then apparently on Tuesday evening this all happens. It's just a lot. More and more details just continue to surface as the days passed. So you're not going to be seeing Herman for some time. He is in inpatient care and treatment for alcohol abuse. And uh, that's that. So again, just the craziest of things happening with the Yankees this week. Craziest of things. Can't make sense of any of it. It's absolutely crazy. 
Otherwise, in other Yankees news, because we've basically ran through a lot of it, it's a lot of things happened. On Tuesday, Willie Calhoun, we mentioned that he was returned from his rehab assignment, healed from his injury, and then he was DFA'd. We obviously know what happens when you DFA'd. Opens up a 40-man spot, they, and then they could be either claimed on waivers, or if nobody takes them, they're outrighted back to the minor leagues. And nobody did take Willie, so he was outrighted back to AAA. And then immediately after that, when nobody took him and he was outrighted to AAA, he then elected free agency. So, Willie's out there on the free agent market right now looking for a place to call home again. And don't worry, Willie. I think I'd want to hightail it out of this shipwreck too, if I were you. (laughs) So, oh my goodness. So, Willie Calhoun, a free agent for now. We discussed the Herman news. And the only thing else really to talk about as far as Yankee news is the fact that on Friday night, Nick Ramirez was optioned for the return of the much-anticipated, at least by me, because I did mention for a while how he was very close to being back, and I cannot wait. And he did look pretty good yesterday, which is very refreshing to see. That was to reactivate Mr. Nestor Cortez. Yes, definitely a round of applause. And if you really... (laughs) If you really think about it, like, it really just goes to show how fast time flies. Nestor's been out for, like, nearly just about two and a half months. Isn't it crazy how much time has passed? He's been gone a long time. Hence why the strict pitch count, which we all knew was going to be a thing when he came back, he was stopped at around 60 pitches. I forget the specific amount. I'll take a quick peek now, but... But he did return. He threw four innings. And it was just really good to see him back yesterday. We'll get to that more in recap. We all knew we'd have a pitch limit. Let's see here. I'm just trying to find it. Nestor Cortez. He ended up finishing with 64. So there you go. Around 60 pitches. And it's just really good to see him back on that mound. It's good to see another arm back with, you know, Rodon's back now and he's pitching today against the Astros. I really hope he turns in a nice outing since he struggled again his last time out. We'll get to that as well. But I just really... I just really hope he does what he's got to do. Now you have Rodon and Nestor back from injury. You've now lost Herman. So, it's a lot of stuff going on. That's what I'm saying. But it is good to have Nestor back as a form of stability and, and someone really important to the rotation coming back who was struggling a great deal prior to his injury when he was saying his arm and his shoulder just wasn't healing and repairing after every start like it usually does. Like it'd still be sore from the last start by the time he'd take the ball again, which is a real problem. A real sign of... Severe arm fatigue. But it's good to have him back. It really is. So that is that's all that happened in Yankees news this past week, guys. Like like I said, make it make sense. Any of it. This is crazy. Absolutely crazy what has happened this past week. Completely unrelated, heavy stuff. I mean, the trade deadline being an absolute disaster with the Yankees organization coming out looking absolutely horrible like they have for years now in most aspects. That the deal with Anthony Rizzo and how that makes the medical staff look in many respects. The Domingo Herman thing, the roster moves, just, oh my god, man. Holy crap. Holy crap! There you go, right on cue, Frank Barone, thank you. But this is a lot, just a lot. So, now that we're through the intro and Yankees news, guys, really only one more thing to do since there's no social media segment, which is a good thing because I am in a bit of a rush, like I said. But... We're going to get to the weekly recap. We'll get to what happened this past week. And there is a lot to go over. Lots of disappointment pertaining to the Rays series. And actually the Astros series, even as of right now, because the game started not long ago at the time that I'm recording, 
at the moment. The Astros series actually not turning out too badly, except for one game, but even the game going on right now as I'm talking to you. So, like I said, just a very interesting last week. Let's get to it as far as the games, at least. Yapping Yankees time machine. Let's go back to last Monday. Let's go. All right, so that sound effect played, and then we have another jump in time similar to last week where I just went to grab a quick bite to eat for lunch, and now we're back. Now it's around like 3.15 when I'm doing this last segment, the weekly recap, and at this point, the Yankees were down 5-1, and then just this inning in the bottom of the fourth, they tied the game at 5. So they were winning one nothing at first against the Astros in the final game of the four-game set here at Yankee Stadium. And then in the second inning, the Astros put three on the board, hitting a three-run homer, Jake Myers did, off of Carlos Rodon. And then also off of Rodon, Jordan Alvarez hit a two-run shot in the top of the third to make it 5-1. And at that point, I was thinking, well, this one's not looking so great, probably over. Rodon, again, not having a great start. And I'm trying to remain patient with Rodon. Again, like I said, he still seems to have his velocity and all that. It's just a matter of doing better with location and control because he uh, he just seems to be leaving the hanging meatballs right down the plate to be crushed. He's having a bit of a home run problem. So the home runs keep flying out of the park against him. So the Yankees found themselves down 5-1 very quickly after taking a one nothing lead on another home run by Glaber Torres as Glaber just continues to just tear it up, continuing to be one of the better hitters in the Yankee lineup for months now. This is his 18th home run. So he's closing in on 20 just at the start of August. So that's pretty good for him as his good season continues, having a solid year. But then they tied the game up at five, just in the bottom of the fourth. Just now, a lot of action going on. Harrison Bader with an RBI single making it 5-2. Anthony Volpe getting hit by a pitcher. The bases loaded made it 5-3. And then Jake Bauer walking with the bases loaded. So 5-4. So the Astros biting themselves in the ass a lot, quite frankly. And then Aaron Judge with the bases loaded. Walk right after that, tying the game at five. And Glaber was just up having a really good at-bat. I believe it was an eight-pitch at-bat, if I'm not mistaken. Hits a screaming line drive to center field right at Myers. So that finished off the inning. I'm actually watching a replay right here because I don't have the game on immediately right next to me at the moment. So I'm just watching how this went down. It was a pretty deep fly ball. Looked like it could be a grand slam off the bat, but no. It was uh, just in front of the track in right center field. So... That's today's game, keeping you updated on that, so I'm not going to cover today's game in the weekly recap because of that, but I'll keep on live reacting to it in real time as it goes on. Let's go back to the beginning of the week while we're at it. Last Sunday, I don't remember if we got to talk about it, but Luis Severino started the game, and yet again, yeah, it was it was definitely, they were losing bad by the time I finished last week's episode. It's coming back to me now. I was talking about how much of a disappointment Severino continues to be, and spoiler alert, really hasn't changed even up to now. <laughs> Because he has had one more start since even this one. But again, three and a third, ten hits, nine runs, two walks, and five strikeouts. Just absolutely horrible, horrible by Severino last Sunday. The Yankees got annihilated by Baltimore, lost nine to three. They were out of the game before they even had a chance to be in it. And uh, Severino allowing seven runs in that first inning, and six of them without even recording a single out up to that point. So an absolutely brutal job by Severino, and the Yankees lost a series that they very well could have uh, at least taken 
definitely the first game at least. They could have won that one when they lost one nothing when the offense was nowhere to be found. So then after the Baltimore series ended, they came home to face Tampa Bay, another really important series. Team in second place, one of the wild card teams in front of them that they are chasing, looking to take advantage, whole Herman fiasco coming in mid-game and Brito starting it in this game. Well, went just about as you'd expect. It was not a good one. Brandon Lau, two-run homer in the top of the first off Brito. But then Jake Bowers got them to inch a bit closer on a solo shot in the bottom of the second. So that made a 2-1 Tampa. Unfortunately, that'd be the last run the Yankees scored. The offense would be completely dead on this night anyway, as Jake Bowers being the only run. And Jake Bowers has actually become yet again another big home run threat in the Yankee lineup. He's been fun to watch with that. Been really good since he's returned from injury. Good to see. Top of the third, Wander Franco with a bomb of his own, his 13th of the year, made it 3-1. to Isak Paredes with a home run of his own made it 4-1, and Josh Lowe with a solo shot himself made it 5-1. That was in the top of the fourth, and no runs were scored for the rest of the game. That's all that really needed to happen. It's not like the Rays were threatened at all because the Yankee offense wasn't doing a damn thing outside of Bowers' solo shot. They only had two other hits in the whole day, one of them by Rizzo and the other by Volpe. Brito's final line, four innings. Six hits, five runs, four strikeouts, no walks, but four home runs. I mean, just couldn't keep the ball in the park. And like I said, baffling—we saw Herman comes in in the fifth. He pitches the fi- final five-inning shutout. Looked great. Just walked a couple of guys, struck out four, gave up a couple of hits. Really, really weird game on Monday. I mean, not weird in the sense that the outcome and the actual events of the game itself were odd, just with the whole Herman thing and then the fact, you know, nothing unusual with the offense being a corpse, nothing unusual there. But unfortunately, the same thing would continue on Tuesday. Rodon took the mound for this game, did not have the best of starts. Four innings, sorry, I just adjusted my chair. <laughs> four innings, four hits, four runs, four walks, and five strikeouts. So the command and control definitely still a bit off for him there. Just cannot seem to find consistency with the strike zone. So, and wow, it's actually pretty ironic we're going over Carlos Rodon because I literally just got a notification from the Bleacher Report app and the MLB app, actually, both of them, saying that Carlos Rodon actually left today's game with left hamstring tightness. (laughs) Oh my god. Oh my god, it just doesn't end. It really doesn't end. Guys out there trying to figure it out, and yeah, he has, for the most part, been pretty bad. Not going to lie about that, but why not another injury to uh, throw him off even more? So he's being examined at Yankee Stadium, and additional examinations will take place over the next 24 hours. That's what the New York Yankees Twitter account tweeted out about five minutes ago at the time that I'm talking right now. So this is brand new information in live time right here. Carlos Rodon, left hamstring tightness. So we'll see what happens with him. Had the elbow problem that kept him out at first, followed by the chronic back problems, and now left hamstring tightness. So this guy's body is just clearly breaking down. All in complete different areas. Upper body with the elbow, mid-body or so with the back, and now the lower body with the hamstring. It's great. It's awesome. (sighs) Hate it. Hate it so much. Already see Yankee fans comparing him to Carl Pavano on Twitter. (laughs) That's just great. So we'll see what happens with Rodon. Nothing positive for him. As his numbers get even worse after today's outing, having given up five runs. So, his stats right now, he's still 1-4 in line in line for a, a no decision today, actually. 
he was going to be in line for the loss if the Yankees stayed down, but they came back now and bailed him out. So he'll get a no decision at best. And his ERA is up to 733 now. That's quite bad. I mean, it's only, what, a handful of starts? Six, I think. So, yeah, but that's rough. You got to start coming around eventually. So, left hamstring tightness, folks. That's the, uh, that's the story. So on the top of the fifth, Brito's in right now. First and second, one out after he walked both Martin Maldonado and Jose Altuve to start the fifth. And he just got Bregman to fly out. Jordan Alvarez is up. What could possibly go wrong? Already has a home run today. <laughs> so the game's still tied at five, though. So it was ironic that we were talking about Rodon with the other game that he had against the Rays because that's what happened just now. That's the report that just broke about him. So... Anyway, more about Tuesday's game. Yankee offense outside of the pitching. Uh, Rodon giving up the four runs. Ian Hamilton giving up one more in two innings. Albert Abreu, Nick Ramirez pitching shutout. Baseball after that with Abreu pitching an inning and Ramirez pitching two. The offense did absolutely nothing. Again, (laughs) outside of just the end of the game when they were down 5 nothing and there was literally no life to anybody at all. Glaber Torres hitting an RBI double, and then DJ LeMahieu hitting an RBI single. 5-1, 5-2, Yankees lose. So, Rodon again, ground rule double, RBI double to Manuel Margot. Yandy Diaz, solo shot off him. Randy Rosarena, two-run shot, and then with Ian Hamilton, and that's when Brandon Lau got an RBI single. It was 5-0, final score 5-2. Yankees looking absolutely lifeless and in risk of getting swept at home. In a very important series... In a crucial week where we were talking about forever how this really tough week was coming up between some vital opponents, week and a half or so, Orioles, Rays, Astros. Well, they screwed the pooch against the Orioles, and it looked like they were going to do the same thing with the Rays, except they thankfully managed to salvage at least a game in the Rays series, winning the final one by a score of 7-2. to Garrett Cole pitching, and he did, again, a phenomenal job. Finally got a win for his efforts this time. Only gave up two runs at the very beginning of the game in the top of the first on a two-run homer by Wanda Franco. Outside of that, a phenomenal start the rest of the way out. He went seven innings, only allowing those two runs all the way back in the first inning. Four hits total, two walks, and eight strikeouts. And again, finally getting a deserved win for his efforts. He's had plenty of those robbed of him this year, and that's one of many reasons I don't typically really give a single crap about the win-loss stat in general for pitchers. But now he's 10-2, and two, should be a lot more, closer to 15 right about now, probably anywhere from like, I don't know, 12 to 14. And his ERA is still around 264 it's at right now, so in the 260s, low to mid-260s. As his Cy Young-esque season continues, Cole having one of the better years of his career, I would say his best year as a Yankee so far, as of this point, especially this late into the year. So Cole just continues to be absolutely phenomenal. You can't say enough about him. I gave stats last week about what he does in stopper games, per se, which means the Yankees are amidst losing times, and he comes out to try to stop the bleeding, and his stats are phenomenal in that way. So he's being an ace in every sense of the word. He really is. You can't say enough about him. The Yankees actually, thankfully, got to Shane McClanahan, which they do not have too much of a tendency of doing throughout the history of facing him, really. But again, outside of that top of the first, it was 2 nothing raise. Everybody was saying, oh, here we go. But then the offense got to doing what they do best, hitting homers. And we know that when the Yankees are hitting homers... Good things are usually happening. We've established that. That's just what they're based around. 
and that was the case in this game. Anthony Volpe, two-run shot, his 14th of the year, tied the game at two. Stanton got a hold of another one, hit a laser to right field, his 15th homer of the year, a three-run shot, driving in Glaber and IKF, making it 5-2. to two. And then in the bottom of the seventh, Stanton came up again and hit an RBI single to make it 6-2. And then Glaber Torres stealing home with Greg Allen stealing second. After that, made it 7-2. So good base running by the Yankees there, resulting in one more run, and that, of course, would be the final. Again, Cole getting the win, 10-2, with a 2.64 ERA on the year after that. The bullpen was phenomenal with Canely and Holmes closing it out in the final two, each just giving up a hit each, but combining for a total of five strikeouts, no runs. And the Yankees would thankfully manage to, again, salvage at least one freaking game in the series against the Rays, so they would lose the series best two out of three at home, and then welcome the Astros to town. Now, what could possibly go wrong with this, right? But fortunately, the first game actually started off pretty well. The first game started off right away with the Yankees jumping out on the Astros with three runs right off the bat with John Carlos Stanton hitting a two-run shot his 16th of the year, making a 2 nothing, and then Billy McKinney homering right after with his sixth of the year. Solo shot made it 3 nothing. So right out of the gates... Against Christian Javier, who had pitched a combined no-hitter against the Yankees. Now, they jumped out on him early. Jumping on him for three runs right away. Top of the second, the Astros did answer right back off of Clark Schmidt, who did start the game. His final line, five innings, four hits, two runs, one walk, and four strikeouts. Not a bad start. Not too much length given, but not a bad start by any means for Clark. Not a fantastic one either, but he didn't look bad, especially considering against that lineup. So... Can't really blame him for that. Just give a RBI ground out to Jake Myers, followed by an RBI single by Martin Maldonado. So not the hitters you'd expect in the Astros lineup to do any damage, but they did. That took them within a 3-2 to two deficit, so it was very close at that point. Then, unfortunately, what would take Clark out of the decision, because he was in line to get the win as of when he left, in the top of the sixth, when Wandy Peralta came in after him, he would give up a game-tying solo bomb to right field to Kyle Tucker, and that would tie the game at three. But then fortunately, right after that, in the bottom half of that inning, the Yankees jumped back out in front right after that on an Anthony Volpe RBI single. That'd be the final run they score on the night, making it four to three, and that would be the final that they win by after the bullpen in Michael King, Tommy Canely, and Clay Holmes combining for three and two-thirds innings total would pitch three and two-thirds shutout and bring the Yankees to a four to three victory. So the offense, again, doing just enough to get the job done and the bullpen mainly doing their thing with the exception of Wandy. But other than that, three and two-thirds innings, getting close to about half the game there's worth of outs. Shut out by the bullpen doing their job. Like I said, the strength of the team, they have been on the whole all year. Unfortunately, on Friday... The offense, again, only scored three runs, and the Astros' offense came out jumping on, yeah, you guessed it, Luis Severino. Anytime you see a crooked run total by the other team, there's a good chance, a good chance, not 100% of the time, but there is a very good chance that Luis Severino was the one pitching for the Yankees on that given day. (laughs) And that's what happened here again. Because right away in the top of the first, three-run shot by Yiner Diaz, and all of us are saying, here we go again. And what did I say last week after his outing against the Orioles? I was saying, this guy cannot start another game. Seferino just cannot start another game. And they showed him again after this start, and that wasn't really the end of the damage. 
because he'd also hit Alex Bregman with a pitch with the bases loaded, making it 4 nothing. And then after Jake Bowers hit a solo shot right after that to make it 4-1, he'd then give up a solo shot in the top of the fifth to Jordan Alvarez, getting that run right back, did the Astros, making it 5-1. So Severino, again, another bad start. Just he is absolutely horrendous. Four innings, five hits, five runs, three walks, and just four strikeouts. And out of those five runs, two home runs were amidst them. The one from Diaz and the one from Jordan Alvarez. And it's just, it's awful. You can't keep sending that guy back out there. I know now you have this news with Rodon just as of today. So that does change things, especially if it ends up keeping him sidelined again, at least for a significant time. Even more so. And now Herman's gone. At least he got Nestor back. But it's just crazy. The constant... It's like every time someone gets hurt, we've talked about this. It's always like a soul for a soul. Every time someone comes back, something else happens to someone else. And it's literally like a soul for a soul. It literally is. It's like it's like the soul stone in, in the Avengers. It's crazy. So, yeah. Severino, just absolutely horrible. I feel bad for the guy because, yeah, he was shown in the dugout, like in the corner on his own looking extremely sad, but honestly, at this point, it would just be irresponsible to keep on sending him out there, because listen listen to this statistic. It's just absolutely horrible. He's now given up five or more runs in six of his last 11 starts, guys, and that comes from my buddy at Yanks Bar on Twitter. It's absolutely horrible. Five or more runs in, in more than half of his last 11 starts, and then you have the start in Baltimore. He gave up nine. So it's not only like he's given up around five. Sometimes it's even worse than that. Significantly worse. He's awful. The Yankees legit cannot bring Luis Severino back once his contract is done at the end of the year. They they cannot bring him back. And I would not allow him to start another game. He just can't get it together. He cannot get it together. He's literally the worst pitcher in baseball since he returned. In baseball. As a big Severino guy, I could have never imagined that. I could have imagined maybe needing some time to adjust when he first got back and maybe having a couple of clunkers, but to have it happen this regularly and there's like no sign of improvement, it's just a crap show every time he goes out there. And like before he even has a chance to get through the first inning, the Yankees are like out of the game already multiple times. You can't keep throwing that out there because honestly, at some point, it starts to get to him too mentally to such a point because baseball is such a mental game as well. You're not only being irresponsible to yourself for taking yourself out of games, but you're also being irresponsible to him. So throwing him out there continually, regardless of what happens of late, like the train wrecks we've been seeing with every single start nearly, it's not responsible. It's detrimental to you as the team, and it's detrimental to him mentally. I know obviously he wants to stay in the rotation. He's a starter. He wants to stay there and prove himself that he still has what it takes to succeed and contribute. I get it. I respect it. But when there's no sign of improvement whatsoever, there comes a point where the team's got to get together and be like, listen, guys, we can't keep throwing him out there. We can't. We can't keep doing this. We're out of the game before we can blink. How's that fair to us? Or the offense, which already sucks (laughs) the vast majority of the time. So it's just... It would really benefit everyone involved, I think, if you just either move him to the pen or just sit him. I would move him to the pen. I don't want to totally not pitch him because he's here. You know, you got to use him. And you didn't get this. Another one. You couldn't dump off the deadline. I know he's barely worth a bag of Cool Ranch Doritos at this point, like I said last week. But, I mean, you could just dump, you got to dump these guys off. Another expiring contract that I was talking about before in the introduction. 
it's just crazy. You can't keep throwing them out there. And this was just another example that I said at a start or two ago. You remember? It was either Baltimore or the last start before that. I was saying Severino cannot start another game. And he did. And look what happened. It's just very evident when someone's not going to find their thing. They're not going to find their groove. It's just horrible. It's horrible to watch. And then it was pretty obvious that Boone and the Yankees felt they lost the game after that because they brought Albert Abreu in after that who allowed two more runs. (laughs) And the Yankees were just so incredibly out of it. The game was just over. The only scoring they did on the night was, again, like I mentioned before, Jake Bowers' solo shot in the bottom of the third as his home run tear continues. IKF hit a solo shot of his own in the bottom of the fifth, his sixth of the year. And then in the bottom of the eighth, Stanton hit a solo shot, his 17th of the year, making it 7-3, and that was the final. Yesterday, the Yankee offense, while not doing a lot, like I said, some of the times when they still manage to win games despite not doing a lot, it's just them happening to have just done just enough, and the pitching usually doing their job. And that's exactly what happened in yesterday's game. Nestor started the game. It was his return. Like I mentioned before, welcome back, Nestor. It's good to have you. Finished off at 64 pitches, so he could only go so deep into the game. He went four innings. Only allowed one run on an Altuve solo shot. Much to Yankees fans' delight, as always. I'm just still wondering when people are going to realize that booing him and chanting F Altuve and doing all this outrageous crap. I'm just wondering when Yankee fans are finally going to realize, and I've spoken about this at length, but I'm just wondering when they're finally going to realize that that doesn't do anything to Altuve and maybe you should just save your breath. Just an idea. I don't know. It just seems to motivate the guy. The guy routinely bends this team over. (laughs) I don't know what else you need to see. It's been happening for years, especially on the biggest stages. I don't know what else you need to see. Anyways, aside from that, Nestor did a very nice job. Four innings, just the one run on that solo shot, so just one mistake. One walk early on, I believe it was in the first inning. And eight strikeouts. So this stuff was looking good. Breaking stuff looking good. The cutter, fastball, solid. Solid from Nestor. It's really good to see. Someone who's really expected to be a consistent in that rotation, having been out for months, and despite being on a low pitch count, coming out there and doing what he did. Really good motivating factor. Very nice to see. Ian Hamilton came in after, who would get the win on the day, pitched two shutout innings, did a very nice job despite walking two. He struck out four. Canely pitched a shutout inning after that, as did King and Holmes, respectively. Holmes earning his 16th save of the year, as Clay continues to be phenomenal for months now. It flies under the radar, man, but I keep on mentioning it. It really is unreal how Clay Holmes had finally rediscovered himself months ago. And amidst all the Yankee struggles and difficulties, that has really flown under the radar. Do not forget to give Clay Holmes the credit that he is due because he has really found his groove again for months now, ever since he was a train wreck from the second half of last year into like the first, second month of this year. So it definitely carried into this year, but it has vastly improved. Like I mentioned before, also Verlander started this game, but... The Yankees did the best that they could to just scrape off just enough runs to still manage to win the game with the pitching having done their job. Anthony Volpe opened up the scoring in the bottom of the second with a sacrifice fly, driving home IKF. Then Altuve afterwards in the top of the third tied the game on the solo shot off of Nestor. It was 1-1. One one. Fast forward to the bottom of the fifth, Jake Bowers, another home run. Like I mentioned, on a home run tear is Jake Bowers. Real home run threat from the left side of the plate. Nice to see. Put the Yankees up 2-1. And in the bottom of the eighth, Glaber Torres adding one more on for insurance with his 17th of the year, making it 3-1. Obviously, he also has a homer today, so Glaber Torres 
continuing to have himself a very solid season, as we have been sure to mention every single week here on Yapping Yankees. That put them up 3-1 to at the time. As I said, bullpen did their job. Nestor, nice first four innings. They would hold the Astros down for a 3-1 to victory. Again, offense doing just enough to get the job done. And now here we are into today, as we've spoken about a pretty wild game up to this point. Carlos Rodon having another clunker, and then again, leaving the game with left hamstring tightness. More information to come, probably even after this episode comes out, so stay tuned to that on your own time. And I'll be sure to mention it, especially if it's anything major, come when I do my next episode next Sunday from Italy. But he had a clunker today. And then other than Glaber Torres' solo shot in the bottom of the first to get them on the board right away, as we spoke about before, the Astros added five on a three-run homer by Jake Myers and a two-run shot by Jordan Alvarez. Yankees in the wild bottom of the fourth, mainly thanks to the Astros pitching just crap in the bed, managed to tie the game at five. And this is where we still sit at this moment, top of the sixth. The Astros have a runner on second with nobody out. Wandy Peralta's on the mound. Chaz McCormick opened up the inning with a walk. And then Wandy Peralta balked after that. So now... Again, McCormick's on second with Jose Abreu up at the plate. Abreu's really having a bad year. Wow, it's crazy. Who would have thought that was going to happen? I thought he was going to go to the Astros' solid team and just take off. Even more so than when he was on the White Sox, but he has not. Watch him do something here now that I said that. <laughs> so yeah, Wandy Peralta's on the mound right now, and the game is tied up at 5. So with the weekly recap being over, guys, we're just about closing in on the end of this show, heading up to the end of the 3 o'clock hour, which is good because i got to edit this up and then get this out to you guys and get ready to leave for the airport. It's crazy, isn't it? But while I continue to give real-time updates on this final game of this four-game set with the Astros, the Yankees win today. They'll take three out of four, which is really good. So, again, makes sense of this week along with all the craziness. Losing two out of three badly in a series where they could have taken last weekend against the Orioles, looking lifeless for the vast majority of the Rays series. But then, against a good team like the Astros, they look like they could possibly take three out of four. (laughs) Makes no freaking sense. But again, I won't question it because, like I said earlier, regardless of the state of the team, a win against the Astros is never a win that I will scoff at. So, I'll take it. But before we end here, really quick, what's ahead for the next week until we speak next Sunday for our second International Italy episode of Yapping Yankees. Tomorrow, the Yankees hit the road to go to Chicago to face the White Sox, so this should be a break in the difficult gameplay temporarily because the White Sox are, as of right now, they're still, let me see what they did today. They already played today. They won against the Guardians. They're 45-68, and 68. <laughs> so... This really should be a series win at least, but again with this Yankee team, you cannot say that because nothing positive is guaranteed. Nothing negative is even guaranteed sometimes because they could very well win three out of four against the Astros and really make everybody scratch their heads for no reason. So, can't really predict. Anyway, three games against the White Sox on the road. Tomorrow night's game is at 8.10 p.m. Eastern, as is Tuesday's game. But also really quick, tomorrow's pitching matchup, I should mention that. It'll be Garrett Cole against Dylan Cease as of now. So Garrett Cole returning to the mound tomorrow night. We'll see if he can continue his phenomenal pitching that he has done for the vast majority of the entire year. Tuesday, 8, 10 p.m. Eastern, like Monday, Clark Schmidt set to take on Tuki Toussaint. I think his name is. I always forget how to say it. But that's a pitching matchup for Tuesday night, 8, 10 
in Chicago. And then Wednesday night's game will also be at 8.10 p.m. Eastern. The Yankees have not announced a starter on their behalf, but they will be facing Mike Clevenger. So that's a pitching matchup for that game. Thursday, August 10th, that is the day off that I've been saying they finally have after this tough stretch, so they will not play Thursday. Friday, they start a weekend three-game set in Miami against the Marlins. The Marlins are actually a pretty decent team, a few games over 500, just like the Yankees are, so around the same thing. First game will be at 6.40 p.m. Eastern on Friday the 11th. Saturday the 12th will be at 4.10 p.m. Eastern. And then Sunday, next Sunday the 13th, when we will speak again from overseas. That game will be at 1.40 p.m. Eastern to wrap up that series. So that's what's ahead, guys. And as I say that, Wandy Peralta just gave up another home run, just like he did to Kyle Tucker earlier in the series couple of games ago he gives up another home run a big one this time literally just happened just now his second three-run homer of the day Jake Myers goes deep again this time off of Wandy Peralta as opposed to Carlos Rodon two lefties <laughs> unbelievable and it's eight to five and now you gotta be kidding you actually have to be kidding me no there's no shot there's actually no shot <laughs> Martin Maldonado, who can't hit at all, just went deep himself just now. Bro's batting in the 170s. And you just gave... How does it make you feel that you just gave up a home run to Martin Maldonado? Wandy. How does it make you feel? Oh my god. So Jake Myers hits his second three-run homer of the day. Bro has six RBIs. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Unbelievable. So seven out of the nine runs have come from the eight and nine hitters today. Holy crap. (laughs) All right, so this game's over. All right, so the Yankees are going to (laughs) split. So they lose a series in Baltimore. They lose the series against Tampa, and now they're going to split against Houston. Whatever. I would really like the series win against the Rays and then at least a split here. So I guess the at least split is happening, but a series win, three out of four, would have been very nice. So I guess they, it's eh, a split at home. It's nothing to be crazy happy about at all. And they lost the series to the Rays. So another failed week, I guess, for the Yankees. It's great. It's awesome. So after this, they'll still be 58 and 54. Only four games over 500 as they continue to make no progress, ultimately, really. And the Blue Jays are winning. Killing the Red Sox 12-1 to right now. So from a wild card perspective, the Blue Jays will gain another game on the Yankees. Even, this, even the Mariners are ahead of the Yankees by a game as of right now, this moment. So the Yankees will be four and a half out of a wild card after today. Because the Blue Jays and Red Sox score is pretty definitive as of now. And the Orioles are beating the Mets again. So not the Yankees. Not that the Yankees have had a chance of catching Baltimore for some time now. But, yeah. That's it. That's why I say it's fortunate that it hasn't been even worse. Because the Blue Jays had actually done some losing here or there recently. But now the Blue Jays are killing the Red Sox. So the Yankees and Red Sox... Going to each lose a game on the wild card again after today. And as of now, the Yankees will be still a half a game over Boston. 
in the division in the American League East because the Red Sox will be 57 and 54 and the Yankees will be 58 and 54. So the Yankees a hair away from still being in last place. They're virtually still in last place just about as far as I'm concerned just because the Yankees have played one more game than they have. So, and don't forget either, the reason that these games against the Astros are also important aside from the Astros just being a good team and the rivalry and whatnot is because the Astros are another wild card team the Yankees are chasing. As of right now, this moment before the Blue Jays game ends and this Yankees-Astros game ends, the Astros are only a game ahead of Toronto. So if the Yankees took advantage of the games they were supposed to win and actually did win those games and took advantage of when the teams in front of them lost, then if they caught Toronto, then they'd be right on Houston's ass too because Houston's only a game better than Toronto as of now. And it's going to stay that way after they both win today. But it's another team in front of them. Another very important, another reason why this series at home is very important against them, aside from just the rivalry and the circumstance and whatnot. It's also part of the wild card race as well. I don't know, guys. That's really it. Sucks that I have to end the episode on that note because uh, because they just managed to jump out for four runs when the Yankees excitingly came back, down 5-1, tied the game at 5, and now the Astros just jumped out four more runs to take a 9-5 to freaking lead on the bottom two hitters in the lineup doing all the damage. <laughs> but you know what the good news is? Nothing can possibly ruin my mood because I am about three hours away from getting into a car and driving to JFK International Airport and boarding a plane to head to Italy yet again. And because of that, the Yankees are not ruining my mood. They're not. So I'm, I'm fine. I'm perfectly content. I'm very excited for my trip. I'm sorry for those of you who are not going on a trip and you have to wallow in this misery for the rest of the day. I do not envy you. But regardless, obviously I will still be very much so keeping track of the Yankees while I'm away, as I always do. And again, I will be doing an episode. Just as a reminder, next Sunday, I will be doing an episode as a reminder. We'll be putting it out at some point. I don't know when. It'll probably be earlier because we're going to be six hours ahead in Italy. So if I finish the episode by, say, I don't know, like 7 p.m. there and I have it up by like 8 p.m. there, you guys are going to have it here at like early afternoon. <laughs> so me being ahead of time there is going to give you guys the episode earlier next week. So that's a good thing. Sunday the 20th, as another reminder, I just want to say that I will be taking off that day because that'll be our second to last day there, so we'll be getting ready to come home and being sure to spend every moment possible with our family and friends. I want to take advantage of that time as much as possible, so I will not be doing an episode on Sunday the 20th, but I'll be back on Sunday, August 27th, just as a reminder as to my upcoming schedule Thanks to my Italy trip, which I cannot wait to go on in just a few hours. So with that being said, guys, I got to go and finish getting ready. (laughs) So with that being said, that is all for episode 191 of Yapping Yankees today. If you do not already, please remember to follow me on all socials. Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. Twitter is at Mike Scudero. And Instagram is Mike Scuds 97 Be sure to subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four of the platforms. It's available on if you are not subscribed already. Those four platforms, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Be sure to leave your love. Show your love on all four like you all always do such a great job at doing. And if you've missed any episodes, well, episodes 34 up to episode 191. They're all available on YouTube, guys. 
and every single Yapping Yankees episode going all the way back to episode one back in May or June of 2019. All those episodes from episode one all the way to today are all available on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Once again, though, I thank you 3,000 for listening to me yap today. As always, my friends, I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday from across the pond on August the 13th when I come at you with episode 192, an international edition, the second one of Yapping Yankees history of Yapping Yankees. But until then, guys, you know the deal. Before I head on the plane, want to say this one last time. Hang in there. Be patient. Stay safe. Look out for your loved ones. Go ahead and kick life's ass this week, my friends. Even when I'm not around, doesn't matter. Doesn't give you permission to slack off. Kick life's ass no matter what. Put in the work. Get it done. And without further ado, I'm off. I will talk to you next week from Italy. I want to thank you all who wished me safe travels, safe flight, and told me to have a good time. I definitely will. Stay tuned to my social medias because when I'm not tweeting about the Yankees or just putting out a podcast episode next Sunday or anything, I will definitely be doing my fair share of posting from there. And you want to stay tuned to that because I always have a great time over there interacting with you guys while I'm there and showing you my experiences every time I go. So be sure to stay tuned to my social medias while I'm away as well. But until we can chat again, whether it be on here or on social media, my friends, take care. And as always, regardless of the amount of times that they almost have us committed, let's go Yanks. Yanks.